Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. Today, we are talking about what to do with your remaining embryos. This actually, super interesting, came up at dinner last night with friends. I have these dear friends who have been through IVF. So they went through IVF. They have two amazing children. They haven't needed their embryos for five plus years. And it turns out they've not been making their payments. They haven't gotten anything in the mail, asking them to make them, no emails. And their question is, what should we do? Should we just get rid of them? Will the clinic just get rid of them? What is the best thing for us to do in this situation? And I have talked about this a few different times in different episodes. But to be fair, the political landscape is changing. There are things that might have happened that might surprise you. And I think it's really important to view this question as a big picture instead of a right now, because I understand how you feel right now. But the question is, are you always going to feel that way? All right, before we dive in, if you're new here, welcome. The As A Woman podcast has been around. You can search it. There are tons of episodes. If you're having a hard time searching for an episode on your podcast player, you can also go to the website, nataliecrawfordmd.com, and there's an entire section called resources. On the resources section, you can type in any comment, embryo, PCOS, endometriosis, IVF, and it is going to give you all the content I have created on that topic, be it podcasts, YouTubes, blog posts, you name it. So that is a really great way if you are trying to really do a deep dive on one topic, head on over to the website and learn more. Second, sign up for the weekly newsletter. You may or may not know it, but For Fertility's Sake is the weekly Q&A segment that we have each week on the podcast. I also answer some of your fertility questions in the newsletter and on Instagram. So the newsletter you can sign up for by going to nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter, put in your name and email, and then you will get the weekly email with my favorites, updates, information about fertility in the news, and for fertility's sake, some of these Q&As. So head on over there and sign up. If you have pending fertility questions, watch on Instagram. So ask your questions every Monday. We keep track of these. I will answer some on Instagram and then some here and in the newsletter. And also you can call in and leave a voicemail. So every few months I do an episode where I'm purely answering your voicemail questions. And this is a great way to get your question answered. The number you can call for the voicemail is 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. 
1-800-273-3672. All right. Well, first of all, when we think about your embryos, the first thing we want to think about is that embryos are typically stored at your clinic. Now, clinics have limited space, right? Based on where they're located, how long they have been around. And the more patients they have over time, and as technology has improved, people are having residual embryos and having their embryos frozen. We are seeing an increase in long-term storage of embryos. If you want to ask how long can an embryo be frozen and turn into a baby? Like, is it going to get freezer burn and not going to work at some point? Probably not. The longest an embryo has now been frozen, and this number is constantly changing, and then become a live-born baby is 30 years. That is a long time. So just thinking, oh, those embryos are super old, they must not be good, that's not really a valid train of thought. But what you may also not know is that your fertility clinic may ship embryos to long-term storage. Now, you can elect to do this, and some patients do, and I'm going to go over that, but your clinic may also do it without you knowing. And that is also important to realize. So I always think it's a good question and a good practice to have for your clinic where, like physically where, are my embryos going to be stored? Okay, but let's walk through parts of general practice, the contract, what it means, what it means in this political climate, and what your options are. Number one, if you're going through IVF, you should pay particular attention to the part of the contract that talks about what happens to your embryos. And I will have patients calling almost every year who life didn't go as planned. Something happened that they did not anticipate, and now they are no longer together one way or another. And so very often we look at contracts with this rose-colored glasses thing. And people do this with their embryos all the time, thinking these scenarios will never happen to me. My partner will never be in an accident and die. We will never break up. So it doesn't matter what I put here. And people will put things like get rid of the embryos or give them to that person. And then when they find themselves in that situation, they realize what this means. This drew national attention when Sophia Vergara, who's an actress, she created embryos with her then partner, Nick Loeb, in 2013. They then ended their engagement the next year. What happened is that Nick wanted to use the embryos to have children. So Sophia's genetic children, he wanted to use them. And apparently in their initial embryo agreement, they said that both parties had to agree if they were going to do anything with the embryos, which is interesting because I've never seen that verbiage in a contract for embryos before, meaning we typically make people pre-declare what is going to happen. However, he filed that he signed the form under duress and he wanted to be able to use them. He wanted to be able to use them, his genetic material, and have a child that genetically was hers, even though she did not want to. He wanted to implant that embryo into a surrogate and have that child. And this drew a lot of legal interest. So the point already is that what you put in the contract may be challenged, but for most people, what the contract says will be upheld. So you should have a very honest talk. And like any contract, you should think very hard about these circumstances. How would you feel if you and your partner separate? Are you okay with one of you having the other one's genetic child? What if one of you dies? How do you feel about that? There's no right or wrong, but the big picture here is that it's really important for you to think about that. So the best thing you can do before you make embryos is to be on the same page, not to just sign something without thinking about it, and to really think about if these terrible situations happened, how would you feel? And, you know, there is a discrepancy here. If you are a female and you're older, 
this might be your only genetic chance for a child and your partner who is the same age might have longer to get pregnant with somebody else. That's just biology. But let's say you guys are still together and you have your kids like my friend and your family is complete and you're happy. Should you get rid of your embryos? I tell every patient this, if there is any terrible circumstance where you would possibly one percent chance consider having another child you keep your embryos until that's zero and the scenarios i see this in the most is that you have a child who dies maybe you have both children die in a car accident but the most common scenario is one child dies from something tragic and you don't want your remaining child or children to go without that sibling and so you suddenly feel extremely differently Maybe you're willing to carry a pregnancy. Maybe you have a surrogate. But at that point, maybe now you want to add to your family, even though it felt complete. You're now missing a human and you feel like the only thing that could bring happiness back is another life. And this is real. And I've had patients fall into this beyond a tragic place. If you had embryos and you have discarded them and now you are older and can't have a genetic child, you are going to very much mourn the fact that those embryos you don't have anymore. So I always say this should probably be till you're past the point of no return where you would not add another child to your family no matter what. And for most people, this is like 10 plus years till your age 50, some long time, right? So the idea that, well, I'm sick of paying the storage fee. So let's just get rid of them. I don't think that's wise because as a fertility doctor, I live in the place of terrible circumstances. And so I would say you keep them. You cannot recreate that. There's a point of no return and you should keep those embryos for as long as you potentially would want them. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? but women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43%, and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. 
Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Now, another thing that comes up is something to think about. And I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong, but I definitely know people, especially fertility doctors who have embryos, who are keeping them in case one of their children has a hard time getting pregnant. And I know it is weird, but we have seen weird things like that before where a mom donates her eggs because her child doesn't have any something like that. So the question here is to remove your own bias and just think if your daughter, for example, had to get her ovaries removed because she had ovarian cancer, but she wants to carry a pregnancy. Would she rather have an embryo that's genetically related to her? I mean, it's her sibling, so maybe not, or use an egg donor or some combination of the above. I mean, to be honest, I don't know what my daughter would choose, but she can't choose something genetically related to her if I do not have it anymore, right? So keeping it for a long period of time might be something that's advantageous. That is a thought exercise. But then we come back to the problem where if every fertility clinic is doing these cycles and we're genetically testing embryos and we're banking embryos and our freezing techniques are better and our efficiency in the IVF process is better. And so now we create more embryos and people are keeping them longer for the reasons I just went through. Do I have space for them or what am I going to do with them? It might interest you to know that Clinics store embryos in a variety of different ways. The original storage are these cryo tanks, and these are really big circular tanks, and they're connected with liquid nitrogen, which keeps them in a deep freeze state. And you open the lid, and these little straws, these little glass straws, house the embryos. And they're labeled for each patient, and they're just all in the tank together. So if I'm going to go get rid of your embryos, I'm going to open the tank, and I've got to identify where yours are. And a human being has to match the name or the number and pull it out and then shut the tank. Some problems with this is that like everybody's embryos are exposed to when you open it up. This is standard of care, so that's not necessarily bad, but that's true. And then now we have a lot more modern ways of labeling, right? Printing labels, barcoding. That sounds like really reasonable for a technology like IVF, but there are clinics who are hand labeling their embryos. They are writing on them, writing and handwriting, and they're just writing names. I mean, really, you should have like a couple identifiers, pretty standard as a, a barcode, a birthday, a name, two to three points and you should have two multiple eyes or barcoding scanning system or something attached to the computer. But some people literally have a book, a notebook with numbers attached to straws and people's names handwritten and they pull up the book and they look and that's where they go pull the embryo. So there's a lot of different styles. We are seeing things becoming more and more modern as time goes on. But most people are not just going through the tank looking for embryos to get rid of. Like, oh my gosh, Natalie did not pay. She's one month late. Let me open up the tank and like look around and find her embryos and throw them in the trash. So that's not what most clinics are doing. They typically have to have a reason. Maybe they are reconciling their inventory. A lot of clinics have a shutdown period over the Christmas time. And this is when they're cleaning equipment and they're reconciling you know, their inventory, making sure everything is kosher. But if you are not paying your embryo storage fee, 
it does cost money. Like the lab is expensive. That space is valuable. Liquid nitrogen costs money. Monitoring systems cost money. Generators to make sure that even if the power goes out, your embryos stay in a freeze cost money. And not like a little amount of money, friends, like a significant amount of money. So it's reasonable that you have to pay to keep your storage. And if you're defaulting on that payment, your contract with your IVF clinic may say what happens. So do not default on your payment, okay? If you think your clinic is charging too much or you don't like their storage system, or you really think your family is complete, maybe it makes sense to move them to offsite storage. Is that cheaper? Sometimes yes. So you could ask, is there a place I could move them for long-time storage? Would that be cheaper? And this is a personal decision. Yes, there is some risk anytime you are moving embryos or anything like that. However, everybody is different. And storage fees are typically going to range somewhere between $500 to $1,500 a year. So there's a lot of variety based on where you are and what the standard of care is in that area. So it's not though typically a huge difference to move it to offsite storage or to a new facility, but sometimes it is. So that's an option. You could just move them somewhere make it easier for you. Now, there was a case out of Florida, and I have a prior podcast episode with Eve Wiley called Fertility Fraud, and she describes this at length. So if this interests you, you should go listen. And this is highly disturbing to me. There was a patient who had IVF in Florida and had embryos and then moved or something happened and didn't get the paper mailings that her embryo storage was due. And like everybody, I mean, life happens. Her clinic didn't send emails or any electronic form of communication. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not great with the mail, so I totally get this. And she defaulted on her payment. And I don't think it was a very long amount of time because what happened is she got ready for her second kid, had a baby from IVF, had her remaining embryos, calls up her fertility clinic, and they say, well, you defaulted on your embryo payment, so you don't have any embryos anymore. And she said, what do you mean I don't have them? You threw them in the trash? And they said, no, your contract, our contract for the clinic, says that if you abandon your embryos, because you're not paying for them, you abandon them, you are electively donating them to the clinic. And we gave them to some other patient for embryo donation. What? Okay, embryo donation. And I will do an episode on this. Amazing, right? It is an amazing option to help us deal with the excess embryo situation because there are some people who cannot make good embryos and deserve to be parents and deserve the experience of pregnancy and birth and newborn time. And there are people who have completed their family and really want to give those embryos a chance at life. And so there's this huge overlap of opportunity for somebody who might want to have a family and for somebody who might have embryos, they feel like deserve a chance of life. But to do it without your permission, when your family's not complete, I cannot, I cannot. But this is how this clinic had it wrapped into their contract, that because you abandon your embryos, you effectively donated them to the clinic and then the clinic therefore had the right to do as they wish, including donate them into their embryo donation program. Y'all might listen and think that that is so unbelievable, but remember this is new. And in the absence of people having 
really good insight into technology or reproductive rights or reproduction, which we know people don't have because we see the political landscape. What this means is that clinics can do whatever they want. And if you are not reading the fine print, those might be your embryos and they may be in somebody else. You might have a full genetic child with somebody else of which you had no knowledge or approval of and also have to do IVF again if you want to have a child. It's unbelievable. All right, Texas. Since the Dobbs decision, every state is now making their own decisions on what reproductive rights the citizens of that state should have. And we all know this is having a lot of downstream consequences, no matter how you feel about abortion or IVF, right? No matter how you feel, I think we can all admit that you pass a bill that has words like fertilization, embryo, implantation, conception, those words have meanings and those meanings have a secondary result. So many of us in the fertility space have been saying, red flag, red flag, these bills are going to have really big implications in our field and we are nervous about this. Texas, notoriously very conservative when it comes to reproductive rights. We all know that people are traveling out of state if they have lethal fetal anomalies or have medical complications or need a termination for medical reasons or elective reasons, whatever the case may be. However, we have a trigger bill, right? We had a trigger bill that went right into effect right after Roe got overturned. It actually states in there, blah, 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 no abortions. This is not to preclude people from being able to use IVF to get pregnant. We call that an IVF carve-out. Okay, that's, that's good. So if you call my office and you say, does Roe being overturned mean that I can't do IVF? I can look at you and I can say, actually, it doesn't impact anything right now. I have a carve-out, meaning nothing in those bills prohibit me from helping you get pregnant with IVF. Now, that may not always be the case. We can all acknowledge that. However, there's a little line in there that makes me and every fertility doctor really nervous, right? So this little line says, okay, and I'm going to quote this. This is according to section 2.053 of Texas House Bill 1623, which was enacted September 1st, 2021. Embryo dispute standards. In a dispute between any persons regarding an unplanted human embryo created using assisted reproduction, the court shall resolve the dispute in accordance with the best interest of the embryo. Y'all, I'm going to read that again. In a dispute between any persons regarding an unimplanted human embryo created using IVF, the court shall resolve the dispute in accordance with the best interests of the embryo. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W. When you use our code 
AAW. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And I want to ask you a question. You and your partner are married. You create embryos. Life is great. You now are not married. Things are effectively less great. However, now your partner, despite the fact that on your initial paperwork, you said, if we get divorced, we're throwing our embryos in the trash. Your partner now says, I actually want to put those embryos in a surrogate and have your babies. And you say, no, because then I'm going to owe you child support. I'm going to have to co-parent with you and you treated me terribly. And I don't want to have to subject a child to that or whatever the reason is. I'm giving an example. The court shall now resolve the dispute. The judge should decide about what's in the best interest of that embryo. And is it in the best interest of the embryo to be alive? like turn into a child or discarded what your original agreement you said. So this would indicate that embryos would be awarded to the party desiring a pregnancy in a dispute. That is scary stuff. I mean, that would scare me. Now, your clinic may not feel okay with that. Your clinic reserves the right to say, I'm not doing that unless both people are in agreement or if, you know, your document matches. But there's probably going to be a clinic that will take somebody's money and do that. And this is terrifying to me. And what if it goes further? What about if your clinic had a policy where they enrolled your embryos in their donation program without your consent if you abandon them for two years. Now, what's in the best interest of the embryo then? So I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to tell you, you know, politicians created this thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do what's best for the embryo. But these are your embryos. These are your genetics. These are your potential children. And so that makes me nervous. Right. And so I do think that if you are sure that you do not ever intend to transfer another embryo, hundred percent sure all the reasons we talked about before. Yes, Dr. Crawford, absolutely. We're done. You should get rid of them, right? That you should do that. If you say, um, we're getting divorced now and we're still on good terms, you should immediately enact whatever's in that paperwork. I would not trust that things would always be so amicable. I would have that being a hot negotiating point in your divorce proceedings. I would think it is of utmost importance that those embryos do not have a chance to be put into somebody, be transferred, unless you are both in accordance with that. So this is real. This line, this entire circumstance of doing whatever's in the best interest of the embryo, a direct consequence of Roe being overturned. And so if we think that abortion laws don't impact IVF, or getting pregnant, or reproductive care, or pregnancy management, we're wrong, y'all. Okay, this is a very distinct example. Okay, well, quick pivot for the end. Let's say you are done with your family. Like, you're done. You're done, done. You're 100% sure of that. What are your options? Essentially, there's three. I mean, I guess there's four. One, keep and perpetual storage, as we already talked about. Maybe your children want to use them, whatever. Number two, discard them. Clinical take it, throw it in the trash. There is such a thing called a compassionate transfer. I consider this discarding your embryo, and I think it's important that you understand that. However, for some people, this is important to them, 
and I am willing to understand what's important to you. This is where I put your embryos in a catheter and I put them in your body at a time where they cannot implant. There's no hypothetical about this. And I do see people say, well, maybe there's a miracle and they will turn into a child, but I really don't want them to, but I want to give them a chance and not throw them away. We know very clearly with science that embryos implant in the setting of progesterone, the luteal phase. And if I put an embryo in your body and there's no progesterone, I might as well put it in the trash. I'm not being mean, but it's the same. It's not, it has no chance. It's not going to implant. But that's what a compassionate transfer is. I'm going to take embryos, put them in a catheter, put it in your body, you know, right after you have your period or some time period during your cycle where there's no progesterone, those embryos do not have a chance, but I'm putting them in there anyway. The idea is that that feels better than putting them in the trash. And I've done it before, but I I don't want to live in a world of delusion. I'm discarding them either scenario. Compassionate transfer is a discarding of your embryos. Option three you can donate them. Even though I talked about embryo donation, like if you didn't sign up for it, that is terrible. Embryo donation is beautiful. Anything that helps more people become loving parents and experience the joy of parenthood is beautiful. And I am somebody sitting on this side of the table who strongly believes that genetics are really the last thing that make a family. There's not necessarily amazing ways to donate your embryos right now. A lot of people are using Facebook groups. I'm not joking. I don't love it, but that is how a lot of people are doing this. But maybe ask your clinic, see what they say. There are definitely very unethical embryo donation programs that I highly do not recommend, meaning you give your embryos to people who are going to be highly discriminatory, charge people too much money, do not transfer good quality embryos, make people do a home study, crazy, crazy things. Only give them to heterosexual couples who are married for three years and Caucasian. I mean, wild. That's a hard pass for me. Stay tuned because we have been working on another option. So I'm just going to say stay tuned, but talk to your clinic. And then there is donate them for research, which I do think sounds really lovely. In the United States, we cannot do very much research on human embryos. That is an issue. That is why a lot of IVF tech is developed in other countries, especially when it comes to embryos. But doesn't mean your embryos are just going to be wasted. Usually they're utilized in training. So if you donate them to research, occasionally they can go to an actual research project. There are sometimes a few of them. Most of the time, your clinic will utilize those embryos to train people. How to do biopsy, how to do freeze-thaw, use them for quality controls, and that all helps advance the field. So please don't feel like that's worthless. That's actually super helpful and valuable because embryologists, people who are the first babysitters for your embryos and they have these amazing skills and they have this micro manipulation. I mean, embryos are so tiny and they use these microscopes and they fertilize and they biopsy them and they freeze them and they thaw them. They have to get experience, right? So that is also an extremely valuable thing you are doing to help us provide better care because it does help us train more embryologists. So Ultimately, that also beautiful, wonderful gift. The take home of this is one, know your clinic's policies. Two, pay attention to the forms you are filling out and think very honestly about these scenarios. Three, please help us advocate for reproductive rights. You can go to doctorsforfertility.org. Even if you feel like you want nothing to do with abortion, 
Okay. You got to understand that these are laws that impact IVF. And if you're listening to this podcast, you care about fertility and we are asking for your help because we need to be able to do our job. You want your embryo safe. Everybody deserves that. And four, when you come to the point where you're ready to get rid of your embryos, think about what is the best option for you and explore that. And more often than not, It is going to be something that there's no perfect answer for, but you and your partner need to be in agreement. If you are ending a relationship, please be on the same page and intervene sooner than later because things do not always stay good and amicable. So please protect yourself. Embryos are extremely precious and it is not fair that for a woman, you have less time to use them than your male counterpoint. Okay, well, we are now going to get to our weekly fertility questions for fertility sake. These are the questions, again, that you ask on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every Monday. When you ask these questions, we then go and answer them on Instagram in the weekly newsletter and then also here on the podcast. All right, so let's dive into some of your top questions. Is it possible to have a healthy pregnancy following an Asherman's diagnosis? Asherman's is uterine scarring that causes you to have amenorrhea or no periods. Asherman's can be in a variety of different presentations. I mean, I've seen it super mild or only in a part of the uterus. I've actually seen scarring when people still have periods, but officially Asherman's is such bad scarring that you don't have periods. Now, can Asherman's be fixed and you have a healthy pregnancy? Yes. And that's what the question is asking. So I'm going to answer yes. However, do I have some patients and we've done multiple surgeries and they're either unable to get pregnant or they get pregnant and they have complications? Also, yes. In Asherman's, if we think about the endometrium or the layer that you usually shed and that is essential for implantation, there's different layers to it. So there's a shedding layer and then there's a regenerating layer. And in Asherman's, you have damaged the regenerating layer and then you get this scar tissue. And if you damage the uterus, it is common to have problems with placentation because the placenta implants into that uterus. And so things that we can see that can be complications, implantation failure, but also issues that stem from the placenta, preeclampsia, placental abruption, placenta accreta or percreta, and that is when the placenta is growing into the uterus in an abnormal way and it won't detach. And that can cause significant blood loss and even needing a hysterectomy after delivery. So these things are not mild and truly if the uterus is damaged and can't be repaired, some patients need to go on to have a gestational carrier and that is hard. So is it possible? Absolutely. Is it always the case? Not always. Okay. Anything I should do differently to get pregnant after I have a miscarriage. As y'all know, I had numerous miscarriages. So I feel this question in my heart. The short answer is no, you did get pregnant. And ultimately that is good. I do think it's important to make sure you get a negative pregnancy test because that is assuring us that everything is out of the uterine cavity. I also think it's important to have like high alert for abnormal things. If you don't get a period, If you have really irregular periods, if you have a lot of spotting, maybe there's a piece of retained placenta or scar inside and that I would want you to evaluate that. If for some reason it's taking you a long time to get pregnant after a miscarriage, you should go get an evaluation. So I want you to be thinking about that. The other thing I recommend is focusing in on what you can control because there's so much that you cannot. So focusing on those lifestyle factors, eliminating toxins, especially things like cigarette smoke and marijuana, and really focusing on having a diet 
full of fruits, vegetables, antioxidants, whole grains, and avoiding things like processed foods and sugars that we know just overall create a more inflammatory environment. Can a cervical polyp cause infertility or miscarriage? No. So endometrial and cervical polyps are actually different things. A polyp is an abnormal growth of tissue, and we commonly see endometrial or uterine polyps. These are projections of tissue like endometrium that are projecting into the uterine cavity. We do think endometrial or uterine polyps can contribute to infertility because they cause a reaction an inflammatory-ish reaction inside the uterine cavity that can make it harder for an embryo to implant. However, a cervical polyp is a polyp inside the cervix, and those do not impair against sperm from meeting or impair implantation in the same way. Now, both of these might present with symptoms such as having abnormal spotting or bleeding. So abnormal spotting, bleeding, always an indication to go see your doctor. Cervical polyps can be easily removed most of the time in the office by a normal pelvic exam. You actually grab the polyp with a little forcep and you twist it and it just takes the stalk of it and cuts off the blood supply and it comes off. Usually that is not painful. Endometrial polyps, however, inside the uterus, that's a whole different can of worms. And typically those are done with hysteroscopy. Camera inside the uterus, you're asleep. And then you grab those polyps with a little grasper. Thoughts on melatonin while trying to conceive. Personally, I really like melatonin. Melatonin can help you get more rest. It actually is an important part of the normal hormones that we have. And we see so many people who have abnormal sleep and we know sleep is a very important time for cellular repair, inflammation decreasing, and just optimal health. Now, when you're chronically stressed, your body's not making melatonin the same way. Also, when you're looking at screens or you're in artificial light, those things can all mess up this natural melatonin production that's supposed to happen when it's dark outside because we just live in a different world than when humans first existed. That being said, there can be problems if you take way higher than the recommended amount of melatonin because it can impair how the brain functions and makes other hormones. So it's one of those things where a little is good, a lot is bad. I recommend three milligrams a night if you are using melatonin, but not any more than that. All right, and the last question is when is a pregnancy test after an IVF transfer? The short answer is it depends. If we think about this quickly, normally you, not an IVF, like in a regular cycle, you're going to ovulate and then you're going to have about a two-week luteal phase and then you're going to be at the point where if you are pregnant, you will have missed a period and have enough HCG in your system to detect it on a urinary pregnancy test. We consider that if you get a positive pregnancy test at that time period to be about four weeks pregnant. The moment of ovulation is two weeks pregnant. So that's always really weird terminology because you're pregnant before you're even pregnant. When you do an embryo transfer, you are typically putting an embryo in during the very beginning of the implantation window, which is day five. If ovulation is day zero, then you go one, two, three, four, five. That's the typical blastocyst embryo transfer. From there, you can imagine that is day five of your luteal phase. You're typically counting out until you get to day 14, and that's when your pregnancy test is. So most of the time, it's around day nine. Now, ultimately, it can be eight days after or 10 days after, depending on your availability, the lab's availability, and we might look for different numbers on those days. Because if you check it on day 10, it should be a different level than if you check it on day eight. That being said, some people still have day three embryo transfers, much less common now. But if you had a day three transfer, you're not going to check nine days post-transfer. You're going to check 11 days post-transfer because you put the embryo in even sooner than it's going to implant. So in general, 
you are checking a pregnancy test at what would be the four weeks pregnant, essentially two weeks after ovulation, eight to 10 days after a day five embryo transfer or a blastocyst embryo transfer, or 10 to 12 days after a day three embryo transfer. All right, y'all hope that helped again. You can always ask questions on Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. Those questions will be answered on Instagram for fertility sake on the podcast and each week in the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. You can also call and leave a voicemail because I'm going to do another one of those episodes soon. And that number is 657-229-3672. Thanks friends. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.